The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. As we look at the resurrection here of Jesus, and we see this new life that Jesus has brought to us, we see kind of an end to the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, which can be kind of disappointing. I think for the disciples, it was difficult maybe for them to think about the fact that Jesus was not going to be with them. Now, the end of Jesus' ministry came to them as a shock in the way that it did. He died in such a violent way on the cross. They're discouraged. They're dismayed. They're disheartened. uh, They're in the upper room. They're hiding. They're afraid that someone's going to come and arrest them and take them, that they're also going to be crucified or, or, or accused. Uh, They're afraid for how they're going to be treated because that they were numbered with Jesus as his disciples. We see Peter, even before at the mock trial of Jesus, denying the Lord Jesus Christ, not identifying with Jesus, even cursing and and just just wanting nothing to do with Jesus in his posture or his his reputation. And he runs away, goes back to his former profession as a fisherman. And we see all of these things happen. Mark's gospel doesn't give us a lot of details about the end uh, like John does and like Matthew does. And we look at uh, some different things uh, as we look at the gospel of Mark here. But one thing that is uh, in all of the gospels is an important thing, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, the Bible says, if Christ be not risen, we're men miserable. We're miserable men. We are, we're without hope. We're lost, the Bible says. If Christ be not risen, then everything that has been preached up to this point is vain. Everything that has been spoken of Jesus is vain. Because if you remember, Jesus said that he would rise from the dead. The disciples, they kind of misunderstood. They didn't fully and completely understand. We know that the Bible says later that they recalled the words of the Lord Jesus Christ I believe the Holy Spirit of God brought them to their memory. How many are glad for when God does that with his word? He brings his word to your memory. He causes you to recall the words that he says in those desperate times where you have your greatest need, and they produce faith and hope uh, in our hearts. But here the disciples were not sure what had gone on. As a matter of fact, uh, there's a lot of people that still today don't believe in a physical resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to speak uh, about three things this morning when it comes to this new life in Jesus. And that is, number one, that the resurrection is rooted in historical truth. The resurrection is rooted in historical truth. Number two, the resurrection is rooted in transforming grace. And number three, the resurrection is rooted in eternal life. And we're going to look at those things today. And so let's talk about first the fact that the resurrection is rooted in historical truth. Nearly all scholars, historical scholars, agree with these facts. Number one, Jesus of Nazareth lived. So when you hear someone that says Jesus didn't live, or Jesus didn't exist, or Jesus didn't, there's more proof to prove that Jesus did than any of the Caesars combined. That Jesus historically lived. That Jesus was alive as a human being. That Jesus lived. That people knew him. That Jesus was from the place that uh, the Bible claims uh, for him to be from. And all historical scholars, for the most part, agree that Jesus of Nazareth lived. But it's interesting that some people just deny the fact that he even lived. And that shows that they're ignorant concerning historical facts. The, The second thing that all scholars nearly all agree with is that he was executed by the Romans on a cross. 
that Jesus was executed by the Romans on a cross. Uh, What a way for him to die. Jesus died. Uh, His reputation, even historically, was that he was a good man, that he was a teacher, that he was an example for people to follow after. Many people, when they speak of Jesus, even if they don't believe him to be God in the flesh, will say that Jesus was a good example. Jesus was someone that we can look to, that we can listen to, that we can glean good truths for or good morals from, that we could follow as a pattern or an example for our lives. Uh, Scholars believe that he was buried. If you were to go to Jerusalem today, many of them even believe that they know where he was buried, that they know the place that he was buried. Now, I don't know uh, the truth of whether they know exactly where he was buried, but they know the region, they know the area because of what the Bible tells us in both its timeline and its geography concerning uh, the uh, death of Jesus Christ. Isn't it interesting that some people get more excited about Christmas than they do about Easter, about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we know almost... Nothing about the region, the timeline, the days uh, that these uh, things uh, were brought forth. And some people, they get real excited about the Christmas uh, time. But here's the thing. The resurrection is something the Bible just gives us so many things. uh, uh, So many, we know the day that he rose from the uh, dead. We know the region that he was in. We know the timeline for these things. We know the timeline when he was crucified. Isn't that amazing? The Bible gives us these historical facts. Why? Because these things are crucial to our faith. They're crucial to the gospel. And so he's executed on a Roman cross. He's buried. And here's what nearly all scholars agree. On the third day, his tomb was found empty. Now, most scholars don't say, historical scholars, that they believe that he resurrected. But on the third day, his tomb was found empty, meaning there was nobody there. Three days later, And and we go back and we read the Bible, what Jesus said. Jesus said three days he would rise again. And if you think about the theories surrounding this, some of you may have uh, watched a History Channel documentary or Who is Jesus or some of these things that some of the uh, media puts out concerning this, especially around the time uh, of the resurrection or Easter time. Theories were that Jesus wasn't dead, that he just swooned, if you would, on the cross, that he somehow through all of this, uh, he, he passed out. And if you think about the kind of death that Jesus died, you would think that's not possible, that Jesus just swooned. I mean, it's, 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 it's amazing that he lasted as long as he did, that Jesus died on that cross the way that he died. And uh, when you think about all the details surrounding this, it's interesting that even the Bible tells us that Pilate, when Joseph of Arimathea in the back half of chapter 15 wanted the body of Jesus, he wanted first to confirm that Jesus was dead. So Pilate even asked them, is Jesus dead? He said, yes, he's dead. He died. He's, he, I mean, he's dead. They confirmed the fact uh, that he was dead. And so he wanted to make sure that Jesus was dead. And by the way, I'm going to tell you, there was a lot of people around the cross that wanted to make sure that Jesus was dead. And I also want to tell you this, as a believer, it was necessary that Jesus die. It was necessary that Jesus die. Jesus said that he was going to give up his life The Bible even tells us on the cross that he gave up the ghost. He gave up his spirit. Jesus said, nobody takes my life except I lay it down. And Jesus Christ, who was life, are you with me? He was life. He laid down his life because it was necessary for the, without the shedding of blood, the Bible says there'd be no remission of sins, but also death. There was death to the lamb of God, the sacrifice, that Passover lamb had to die for death to pass over. And Jesus was that promised, prophesied Passover lamb. 
Uh, So they said Jesus was not dead. Another theory is that the Romans stole his body. It's interesting that that's even a theory uh, because the Romans put soldiers on the tomb to protect lest anybody should come and steal his body. That's why there were centurions posted at the uh, tomb of the Lord. It's not often that people are, are posted, soldiers are posted at tombs for days after someone dies because they want to make sure that nobody comes and takes the body. And that was the case when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. There were centurions that were posted at the tomb of the Lord Jesus. And here he is, uh, he's inside the tomb, and these Roman soldiers are outside, and we can see in the Gospels what takes place when the stone is rolled away. But there was a theory that the Romans stole his body. The other thing was that the Jews, the disciples, stole the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we know from these accounts and the accounts of the disciples that they even write in history themselves and also historical scholars that this wasn't the case. They were as surprised at the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ as anyone else, if not more surprised. When they were coming to the tomb, they were coming to anoint his body. We read this. When they were coming to the tomb, they were coming to confirm. I remember Thomas. Thomas said, I won't even believe that he's resurrected except I see him with my own eyes and I touch him with my own hands. These disciples were not great people of faith here at the end of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. These disciples were stumbling. They were in the dark, if you would. They were, they were having a hard time uh, with what happened to Jesus and what had happened to their leader. And so the resurrection, when you think about it, there's three times that Mark records the names of the women who witnessed Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. In, in chapter 15, verse 40, Uh, chapter 47, chapter 16, and verse 1. And the reason for that is that when the early church could read these records, these people were still alive. They could go and talk to these individuals. When the Bible identified these individuals by name, there was a purpose in the reason for the writing because it was like a report that you could go and ask the person how that was, what happened, I like what John said. He said, that which we've told you, we've seen with our eyes. We've heard with our ears. Our hands have handled this. He said, we're not just telling you something that we heard. We're not just telling you something that we dreamed. We're not just telling you about a vision that we had. We saw it. We heard it. We touched it. We experienced it. And we are witnesses to it. And that's what we want you to know. And people in the early church, when they were named like this, and especially here, John Mark, as the Holy Spirit uses him to pen the gospel here of Mark, he's writing three times the names, identifying them, not just first name, but also whose parents they were. Isn't that interesting? He points to, because many of these people would have known these children, and they would have been able to go to not only the individuals, but years later, the children and children's children, who were followers also of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they could confirm and say, hey, listen, What's the, what's the story that your mom told? What's the story about this? And it would be passed down, passed down, passed down, passed down uh, within the church. And by the way, that's how history, that's how we know history, through eyewitness accounts, through people who saw and experienced, not just one person. Are you with me? We're not talking about Mormonism, where uh, Joseph Smith went into upstate New York and unearthed golden plates, and you know, t- uh, the, the Lord appeared to him there, and he's telling of other visions and dreams, and nobody can confirm but the person Listen, be wary of someone that tells you about signs and dreams and wonders that only they can confirm. Are you with me? We don't listen to signs and dreams and wonders that only one person can confirm or only an individual confirms. 
what we see in the Bible is not some kind of fanatical, extreme uh, uh, delusion of someone uh, who's influenced by drugs or alcohol. Well, we, don't see, we don't see some kind of lunacy that comes from uh, somebody drummed something up because they had a problem in their life and they needed a crutch to lead on. Listen, that's how some people present Christianity or the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're talking about something that was seen, reported on, and written down and recorded through the scriptures, but also through historians and biblical scholars that lived during those times and actually spoke with the people who saw him actually spoke with the people who touched him, who, who encountered uh, the living, risen Jesus Christ in body. And listen, that's what we're talking about. Uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is rooted in historical truth. You have to deny history in order to deny this. And so Mark records these names. Uh, Wolfhart Pannenberg said this, the evidence for Jesus' resurrection is so strong that nobody would question it except for two things. First, it's an unusual event. How many would agree with that? It's an unusual event. It's an unexplainable event. It's a supernatural event. And second, if you believe it, you have to change the way you live. If you believe it, you have to change the way you live. Because the resurrection and faith in the resurrection changes everything, doesn't it? And so that's what uh, we understand. Aldous Huxley, who's one of the fathers of agnosticism, said this, I had motives for not wanting the world to have meaning. For myself, as well as most of my friends, the philosophy, philosophy of meaninglessness was an instrument of liberation. And the liberation we sought was liberation from Christian morality. What's he talking about? He wants to be set free from his conscience that's telling him, giving testimony to him, not only the fact that there is a God and a creator, but that creator has a plan for your life. And that uh, morality that we see in the Bible comes from uh, not only just people trying to keep laws, but people who have been changed through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that have brought, if you would, freedom into this world. I'm glad that we celebrate and understand and are thankful for this morning religious liberty. I'm thankful for the country that we live in. I'm thankful for the liberties that we enjoy. I pray for the leaders that we have. But I'm going to tell you this morning, if it was not for the gospel of Jesus Christ, we would have no liberty. If it wasn't for the word of God, we'd have no liberty. Truth sets people free. And wherever the Bible has come into any society, whether they're educated or uneducated, whether they have truth before or don't, the Bible changes the way people live. The Bible changes the way people think. The Bible changes the way societies and cultures interact with one another because the truth sets us free. Even if our founding fathers weren't born-again believers, and many of them weren't, and some of them were, and a lot of them were just deists, I tell you that the truth of God's word still changed the foundation of the way that our country was formed and the laws that we have and the freedoms that we enjoy. And we know that they're under attack because the Bible is under attack. But I tell you today that history is a factual uh, pointing to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and the factual truth of the Christianity that we believe in by faith. The Bible says this, that there are many infallible proofs 
and evidences. I'm glad that faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. You and I may not have seen it just like we didn't see the Civil War. You, may not, you and I may not have seen it just like we didn't experience and see some other things that happened in history. But I tell you, you can put more faith in what happened in the Gospels of the Lord Jesus Christ than you can the history books that have been edited, revised, and resumed over and over and over again. The Bible doesn't change Its truths are eternal, and they endure to every generation. And the Bible is not just a science book or a history book, but it is, by and large, a truth book. And you can can put your faith in it, you can trust in it, and while many people today who have educated themselves apart from the knowledge of God, because I tell you, you have to educate yourself from God, because He's on your conscience He's in your heart. He's a void that's in your heart. And God put in our DNA, in our very framework, in our conscience, the Bible says that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, professing themselves to be wise. They became fools. And they changed the image of God into an image like of man. Listen, we live in a world that is trying to make God like man because they understand that they cannot be like God. And by the way, that is the message of the gospel. You cannot be like God. You can't. It's impossible for us to be like God. That is the reason why we need a Savior. Uh, J.D. Greer said this, that faith occurs when the unexplainable confronts the undeniable. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever considered the evidence for the resurrection on its own terms? And most people that I talk to that want to have dialogue about it have never even considered the historical evidence that has been presented and has been widely accepted for many, many years. And and listen, most people, they just want to mock, they want to make fun of, they want to deny, and they want to get it off their conscience. But the truth is, when you sit honestly and consider the facts, you come away with the fact that there's nobody that's ever lived, first, that Jesus lived, There's nobody that's ever lived like him. There's nobody ever that's died like him. And the resurrection is something you're going to have to deal with. Because the resurrection is truth. The resurrection is rooted in historical truth. Number two, the resurrection is rooted in transforming grace. The resurrection is rooted in transforming grace. Most of us, we look at the cross, and we think of the cross as a symbol of God's grace. And it is, by the way, it is. The cross is a wonderful symbol of the grace of God. But can I say this? What is the cross without the empty tomb? There are many people who before Jesus and after Jesus died on crosses. There are many people, even good people, like Peter, who died on crosses. Jesus wasn't the first falsely accused man to die on the cross, and he wasn't the last falsely accused man to die on the cross. But can I say this? He's the only man that died on the cross as the God-man, perfect without sin, and raised himself up three days later after he was crucified. Jesus is the only one who shook heaven and earth when he died. He's the only one that shattered religion and all of its uh, uh, covenants and all of its promises. He shattered them. He broke them. Uh, The Bible puts away he made an end to them by fulfilling them. By fulfilling them. That's how Jesus brought an end to him. He didn't become a critic of, pointing to. All of those things point to him. He was a critic of those who didn't see that, who didn't understand that, who used all of the prophecies and all of the symbols and principles in the Old Testament that all pointed to Jesus. How many are with me that when we look at the Bible, we see that there are a lot of good people 
How many like the good people in the Bible? You like the heroes of the faith. Are you with me? We enjoy reading them. But how many have a problem like I do when I read about them? Because even the best of the best of them are so flawed. I mean, we, we think about people like Abraham, and then we, we struggle with Abraham and his sleeping with his wife, handmaiden here, and founding another uh, uh, group of people through Ishmael and not trusting. In, how, many, how many stumbled through that? As great as Abraham is in your eyes, how many of that makes him a little bit smaller? We, 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 we look at Noah, and I said this in Sunday school, but Noah, for 120 years, builds an ark with his family, expresses this great faith. He goes through the flood. He's saved. God gives him this great task of being fruitful, multiplying, replenishing the earth. And it's like the Bible just skips over everything good that he did and just goes, here's Noah, he's drunk and he's naked. And we struggle with that. Because it's like, we got to cover that up if we're going to make Noah a good example. And then we get to David, and David's a man after God's own heart. What a great example, is he? He's a young man who loves God, writing the Psalms, uh, out with the sheep. I mean, so much to admire about David. He comes with great faith, and he kills Goliath. He takes the stone, and he proclaims his trust and faith in God, and Goliath is slain. He won't touch God's anointed, even though Saul is a horrible king, disobeying God. He still won't dishonor the king. He still has respect to uh, the one that rule and authority and knows that God is going to raise him up in his own time to be king. And then he becomes king. Then he commits adultery. He has Uriah murdered. He covers it up. Loses his baby. You, you, you think about all that. How many, how many we, were left a little empty if all we have is an example? And I would submit to you that people who present Jesus Christ as only an example are left empty. Because Christ didn't just come to be our example, although he's a great example. We should follow in his steps, the Bible says. But how many know that we need more than an example? Because if Jesus is just an example, we don't have good news. Because here's the bad news. If Jesus is an example, how many of you are doing a great job following in Jesus' steps. How many of us would say, I'm just like Jesus today? I'm doing what Jesus does. I have Jesus' spirit, and I have his attitude, and I have his heart. Some of us are struggling. We're sitting in church. Are you with me? With our attitude, with our thoughts, with this flesh. And we're in church. Forget about when we get outside. Are you with me? So we struggle, because if Jesus is our example, what does this example say to us? You can't do it. If, if, if all I get in a sermon is, here's Jesus, look at all the good stuff that he did, now go and do it. How many are dismayed at that like I am? Because either I'm damned to the fact that I can't live like Jesus did, or, listen, I'm damned to my pride, thinking that I am living it. How many know that's another kind of damnation? That's the damnation of the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler came to Jesus, and Jesus says to him what? He says, you've got to keep all the commandments. And by the way, first he says, God's good, right? And then what? A couple minutes later in the, in the dialogue, the rich young ruler says, yeah, God's good, but so am I. I'm just like him. And then Jesus gives him a command he can't keep because he knows his heart. Jesus, Taylor makes instruction to a man he knows will not obey 
in this respect because he's trying to get him to see something and that he is not perfect as he thinks he's perfect and that he cannot do what he thinks he can. How many have tried before Jesus to live a good life and failed? We all have. And here's the truth. If you think you have, listen, the gospel is not what would Jesus do. The gospel is what has Jesus done. The gospel is not, oh, here's what Jesus would do in this situation, now go and do it. No, the gospel is Jesus did what you could not do, and that's good news. Because it was impossible for you to do. Are you with me? It was impossible for you to do. There's none of us that does good, no, not one. We're all together become unprofitable. We are none of us righteous. There's none of us that sought after God. You say, well, I was. Well, listen, be careful. Because if you think yourself to be partly responsible for your salvation, you did not believe on Jesus. You believed on some morality or some example. And by the way, this is the Jesus that most religions present. The Jesus that most religions present to us is a Jesus that you can be like. How many know that, that this is what mankind has done in their paganism? They see God. I can't be God, so I'll make God like me. We do that in our world. Listen, we look at third world countries that bring God down and make him creatures. Bring God down and make him creation, right? Are we not in America just as guilty of doing the same thing? Don't we take God and make God someone that's like us? And we make God, you know, more human. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. Jesus was fully man, but he was also fully God. Jesus didn't need Mary or the saints to help him enact our salvation. Are you with me? Jesus didn't need anyone's help. Jesus Jesus didn't take anyone's help. But you know what? A lot of people present Jesus as someone who came, who couldn't completely do it, but did a lot of it, and there's just some left to us. How many know that that's still not good news? Because I still fail, and I still can't. And I'm trying really hard. Are you with me? How many were like, like me, you grew up in a good home, in a moral home, and you tried really hard to be good because you had a lot of good rules and regulations that were around you? And guess what? When I did wrong, I had to pretend that I was doing right. And I had to act like I was moral because I didn't want to let my parents down or my pastor down or the people around me down. But I knew in my heart I didn't want to do what's right. I knew there was no desire in me to do what was right. Where did that come from? Hey, who changed me? Not me. I didn't help Jesus. The transforming act of the resurrection is this. It's grace. God's grace. God's grace, his unmerited favor is displayed and demonstrated to us through the gospel, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Boy, sometimes religion puts itself in this position of just trying to manage morality to alter behavior. How many have behaviors in your life right now that you'd like to alter? You have some bad habits? Got some things you'd like to change? Can I tell you the key to it is not trying harder? The key to it is the gospel. The key to it is God's grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Unless we get thrust into this idea 
that it's somewhat our works after salvation that also sanctifies or saves us, let's remind ourselves of the following passage after Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 that says this, For ye are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, that he hath before ordained that you should walk into. Who's you? Those that believe. You mean God had a plan for you to be who he's going to make you to be before you ever were? Yeah, that's our God. Bigger, higher, greater than any of us can even fathom or think. But that all of this was set into motion by a God who didn't need us when we weren't thought of, when we weren't created. How many know that he knew you? He knew you. God knew you before you knew him. He loved you before you loved him. Boy, God is good, isn't he? It's an act of his grace that he saves us. It's not an act of our goodness. It's not even our response. Are you with me? It's not even our response. It's he that saves. Our response is a byproduct of his grace. His grace in our heart and our lives. How many are overwhelmed this morning by the grace of God? I I get a little discouraged when I get around people who call themselves believers and are not overwhelmed by God's grace, not even acknowledging God's grace and just trying to be good. Listen, you can say you're a Christian. You can even say you pray to prayer. You might even follow it in baptism, but I'll tell you this morning, the only way that we're saved is by God's grace. By God's grace, and it's through Christ alone. Through Christ alone. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except by me. Can I say this this morning? If you've come any other way, you need to come through Jesus this morning. Listen, acknowledge the fact, just like I do, that maybe Jesus was misrepresented to you. Or maybe you misunderstood it. But how many know that if you're understanding it right now, that's His grace. That's His grace. God is good to let us see who we are. I mean, think about all the people in the world that deny who the Bible says they are. I'm not a sinner. I don't need a Savior. I don't need Jesus. Why did you acknowledge it? God's grace. God's grace. How many are thankful for the fact that the gospel has taken root in your heart? That God has changed you and transformed you? Listen, God made us his creation in his image and likeness. And we're the only part of his creation that struggles to give him glory. Every other part of the creation that God made declares his glory. What does God say? You can't bring me glory till Christ is formed in you till my spirit rests in you, until you become my child. Because now you're a child of disobedience. You've become something other than what I made you and intended for you to be. This is not the purpose for which I made you, for which I formed you. God formed us and made us that we might bring him glory. Let me ask you a question. Who does your life bring glory to? God or you? Who does your testimony bring glory to? God or you. Sometimes I hear people give their testimony. It's more about them than it is about God. I did this. I saw this. I heard this. Like as if they need to proclaim some supernatural, like cosmic event to make themselves look more special than other people who have come to Christ. I'm going to tell you this. Sinners come to Jesus by simple faith in Christ. It's not about your message. It's not about where you were. Listen, he plucked us all up out of the miry clay. He set our feet upon a rock. He established our goings. 
He has put a new uh, song in our mouths, even praise unto our God, that many shall see and fear and trust in Him. He has changed our hearts. He has changed our minds. The resurrection is a clear picture of the grace of God. Because as in Christ we die, so in Christ we're resurrected and made alive. As we see in baptism, buried in the likeness of His death. How many are glad that we don't stay in the likeness of His death? Can you imagine trying to live in the likeness of His death all the time? We preach Christ and Him crucified, but we preach a Christ that's risen and not in the grave. The symbol of hope of the cross comes from the resurrection, not the cross. The resurrection gives power to the cross. The resurrection gives proof to the life of Jesus Christ and all the miracles that He did, including and what He claimed to be, the only begotten Son of God, the Lamb of God, who would take away the sins of the world. The resurrection is proof, and that is why there's so many attackers when it comes to resurrection. Even people who are okay at Christmas time with believing in Jesus in the manger, I'm going to tell you, Jesus in the manger doesn't save you, but Jesus on the cross, who dies and is buried and rose again, brings new life to your life. And there's too many people that are stuck on the Jesus in the manger and then they get to the Jesus in the tomb who's not there, by the way. Because you're going to be afraid living your life, but you can hear the message at the tomb from the angels that say, be of good cheer, don't be afraid. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. Hey, listen, he didn't just say, believe what I say. He said, come and see so you can go and tell. And that's what he wants us to do. He wants us to come and see so we can go and tell. The resurrection is rooted in transforming grace. And none of my goodness are yours. Jesus didn't rise because I was good. He rose because he is good. Jesus Jesus didn't rise so that I could live my life. He rose to give me his life. My life ends. His life never does. Whose life are you living today? Whose life do you possess? If in this life we have hope alone, we're men most miserable. But if we have our lives rooted in the wonderful, marvelous grace of God, and what is the grace of God? The grace of God that brings salvation teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and to live godly and soberly and righteously in this present world. Hey, people who claim to have received the grace of God and go out and continue to live the life they lived before, God says they didn't get God's grace. They got another grace. A licentious, lascivious, a liberty-giving, fleshly grace. That's not God's grace. And you know a lot of people talk about grace, but they don't understand grace. Because grace, simply put, is the supernatural enabling to do the will of God, to desire the will of God. You and I would have never desired God's will or ever been able to do it apart from the grace of God. We have a lot of people really focused on doing the will of God, but the will of God is more about their own life than it is about God's glory. What am I going to get to do? Where am I going to go? Where am I going to live? What's next for me? Who am I going to marry? Hey, listen, how many just can rest in the fact that if God could know you and form you and save you from the foundations of the world, if he could do all of that, how many are okay with trusting in him on the basis of that and that he also can work out all the details of this short life that you have? If God could save you from the wrath to come, believe me, God can give you direction in this life. God can give you hope in this life. 
And as we are here, may we remember that the purpose for our life, where we come, where we go, is to ultimately bring glory to God for His grace. And then lastly, the resurrection is rooted in eternal life. The resurrection is rooted in eternal life. You feel like it's Easter Sunday yet? The resurrection is rooted in eternal life. Jesus' resurrection changes how you live. If Jesus' resurrection hasn't changed the way you live, then you haven't received his resurrection. How can we, who are dead to sin, live any longer therein? It's a good question. How many know it's a rhetorical question that the Holy Spirit asks us? He's basically making a statement with a question. How many saw all those statements that Jesus made with questions when he was on the earth? How many hear his voice and his spirit as he speaks through the rest of the word of God? How can we who are dead to sin live any longer therein? Now, this is what we know as believers. How many still struggle with this flesh? Paul did. I'm glad for verses that help us articulate the struggle we have in our flesh. But can I tell you, you don't have two natures. You don't have two natures. You only have one nature. There's not a possibility for two natures. I've heard people articulate this way. I've got one nature and I've got another nature and they're at battle with each other. No. Your old nature enacted all the things that you did in your old nature. And that was sin, no desire for God, no desire to seek after God. Just do your own thing, live your own way. It's a spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. That's what the Bible says. When you came to the Lord by grace through faith, your old nature died with Jesus because he died for that sin nature. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered in the world, and death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. In Adam all die, that's the one man, by the way. But in Christ shall all be made alive. Jesus came to give you a new nature, And that old nature dies and that new nature lives. By the way, that's where that desire comes from doing right. How many as a believer now, you're surprised at the things you want to do that you didn't want to do before you were a believer and nobody is standing over you making you do it. That's religion. Religion is someone standing over you making you do it. A relationship with God is, I want to do it. I love God, but I don't even know why I love God. I loved myself before. Now I love God. I love God. I want to serve God. I want to please God. I want to live the way he lived. I want to love what he loves. Listen, if you have none of those desires, then you don't have his nature. Because Jesus' nature was to always do the Father's work and to bring glory to God. And that's the new nature he's placed in the life of every believer. The problem is not what's on inside of the believers. The problem is what's now on the outside, our flesh. How many know that your body still desires things that it shouldn't desire? Still wants to do things, but guess what? You don't live under the power of sin, although you still have the presence of sin. You're not under the power of sin. You're free from it. You're free from it. That doesn't mean you'll never sin. And by the way, thank God it doesn't mean that when you sin, you get to have to, have to be saved again. Can I help you with that? 
When we sin, the Bible says we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who, by the way, is alive and well. When he stepped out of the tomb and he ascended, where did he go? He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God, and he ever lives to make intercession for us. Thank God today that when I sin, I have an advocate with the Father. It's not my works. It's not who I am. It's Jesus who said, I paid for that sin. I paid. There's no condemnation to those that are in the Lord Jesus Christ, and nothing can separate us from the Father's love. And so when that old accuser of the brethren, the devil, that wicked one comes, and he points his finger at you, you can say, hey, listen, I'm a child of God. I'm washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and nothing can separate me from his love and I don't have to be in despair and I don't have to let him pull me away but I don't have to continue in my sin either because if we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness I'm not getting new forgiveness as a believer I'm just exercising the complete and full forgiveness that I have in Jesus Christ and what's already settled in him Resurrection is rooted in eternal life. Jesus' resurrection changes the way you and I live. If you know you'll live forever with God in a new restored body, you can face anything on earth with hope. If the worst thing that can happen to us is in our body, listen, I'm not trying to downplay that. How many of the body can do a lot of damage? We weep, we hurt, we go through difficulty and pain. We are tried through trials and tribulations. Are you with me? The Christian life is not painless. As a matter of fact, it's very painful. As Christ is being formed in us and we're desiring less and less of this world and desiring more and more of the kingdom of God to come to this earth. We say as God's church, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying for God's will to be done. But can I tell you this? Take hope. God's will is done, will always be done. It will never left be undone. God's will is done. It's done in Jesus Christ. Christian, one day you'll get back everything you lost and you'll get all the things you never had. Are you with me? One day, hey Job, you get back everything you lost. It's not going to be here. That's not the message of Job. The message of Job is not that you go through trials on this earth and you get back everything on this earth. The message of Job is that with God, we get back everything we lost and we get all the things we never had. Or how about this? You could never imagine. I have not seen, nor ear heard, nor even have entered into the heart of man the things that God has in store for them that love him. We cannot even imagine. Listen, I love to imagine, don't you? But what I understand is my thoughts are not his thoughts, my ways are not my, 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 his ways, and my thoughts fall short. But I just rest in the Scriptures. How many of the precious promises of God are great enough for us to even fathom now who see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, we'll see him and know him, be like him, and know even as also we're known. One day, church, this corruptible putting on incorruption. This mortal, immortality. Death is swallowed up in victory. I don't know what you're going through this morning, but take hope if you're a believer. And take heart if you're not. You can be through Christ and through the gospel. Listen, throw yourself at the mercy of God. 
Jesus' resurrection not only changes the way that you live, but lastly, and we're done, it changes how you die. It changes how you die. Maybe you're afraid of death because you don't know the one who conquered death. Maybe you're afraid of death because you got your eyes off Jesus. How many Christians, sometimes that's us. We're discouraged because we got our eyes on human beings instead of Jesus. Can I, can I tell you, if, you, if you look at me for long enough, you're going to be discouraged. And you probably are. You've been looking at me long enough. But if we look at one another long enough, we're going to get discouraged. The message of the church is not look at each other. The message of the church is look at Jesus. Look at Jesus and keep looking at Jesus. Listen, if you see somebody in the church that God's working on, look at Jesus because that's what they're going to become. Are you with me? That's hopeful, isn't it? If you're struggling in yourself as a believer, look at Jesus. That's who you will become. Say, I wish it would happen tomorrow. We all do. But we're wrestling. But can I remind you, church, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness and uh, high places. Hey, listen, put on your armor every day. You got an enemy that's real, the world, the flesh, and the devil all around us. But we can be salt and light and a wonderful testimony, the transforming power of God who also doesn't make us afraid of our lives, but also doesn't make us afraid of our deaths. I don't have to be afraid to die. We can say like Paul this morning, maybe you're not there yet, maybe you should say this, church, God, give me the kind of faith that Paul had that I can say, God, I want my life to bring you glory, whether it's by my life or by my death. Listen, because you're not really willing or ready to live for Christ until you're willing to die for Christ. You say, I am willing to give my life. And the wonderful sacrifice that God calls us to is not a sacrifice as dead. I'm glad that he was, the, he was the dead sacrifice for us so that we could become the living sacrifice in him. And he says, come, church, present your bodies. Lest we forget that transformation also concerns our bodies. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I know about you, but the resurrection encourages my heart today because everything that we talk about as Christians hinges on not just the possibility of, but the proofs in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is not here, but he is risen. And we're glad today because he ascended, now he's given us his spirit who lives and dwells in all of us. And now we can rest in what Jesus has done and live our lives to his glory. Not because we're good and have done good, but because he has done what is good for us. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.